so as I saw the soldiers, I lifted up a quick prayer and I said, God, I was doing your work and now this is my reward. I am tired. I want to go home. I went down the stairs hoping that they will not call me. But then one of the soldiers crooked his finger at me, asking me to approach. I approached the three soldiers and I wasn't thinking clearly. I unzipped the zipper of my jacket very quickly. They thought I'm going to attack them. They put their hands on their machine guns and pointed their machine guns towards my head. Without thinking, I said, I love you. They were in shock and I was in shock. My name is Angel Torero. I want to welcome you to On Mission with Chris Wright, a podcast produced by Langham Partnership. Visit langham.org to learn more about Langham. What can Christians in Indiana learn from Christians in Indonesia? How can church leaders in Mumbai equip pastors in Miami, which is where I live and serve? On this podcast, we listen in on conversations between Chris Wright and church leaders in Africa, Asia, and Latin America, where my family has their roots. We hope you discover how much wisdom the church in the West has to gain from their sisters and brothers in villages and towns around the world. This podcast is brought to you by the Langham Partnership, a ministry founded by John Stott, to equip church leaders in the majority world. Visit langham.org to learn more about Langham and explore more resources from global church leaders. Our host is Dr. Christopher J.H. Wright, known to many as Chris Wright, a respected theologian and award-winning author of more than 30 books, including critically acclaimed The Mission of God, Unlocking the Bible's Grand Narrative. When he's not writing books, Chris serves as International Ministries Director for Langham. Today, we take you to the Holy Land to meet Johanna Catanacho, a Palestinian-Israeli Bible scholar who lives in Israel. Born in a conflict during the Arab-Israeli War, today he's an advocate of radical love, unity, and peace for his homeland. We can all learn from his incredible insights, so much so that we had to break this conversation into two parts. So I hope you enjoy part one of Chris's conversation with Johanna. Welcome to On Mission. I'm Chris Wright, and today it's my pleasure and privilege to introduce you to my guest, the Reverend Dr. Johanna Catanacho from Palestine. Welcome, Johanna. Thank you. Johanna lives in a land that immediately brings to mind the Bible and Jesus because he grew up in Jerusalem and he spent most of his working life in Bethlehem and in Nazareth as a professor of the Old Testament. But before we get to your present working life, Johanna, I'd love you to tell us just a little bit about your background, about where and when you were born and something of perhaps your childhood and your family. Yes, um, I was born in the old city of Jerusalem, and uh, basically I was born in 1967, June 5th, 1967. Uh, June 4th is my birthday, but June 5th is when the war started. And so uh, I was born exactly during the war. My mom was at the hospital. And uh, my dad had to come and bring us from the hospital. 
And as we came back from home, a bomb exploded. Stern throwing Palestinians are facing off against heavily armed Israeli soldiers in running street battles. And uh, this was the first week of my life. That day, when the bomb exploded, our neighbor died, but we were safe. We went inside our home, and um, life didn't get much easier because I grew up in a context full of hatred, divisions, and segregation. Almost every decade, we have two to three wars. And I grew up on Via della Rosa, station number eight, the way of the cross, and station number eight. And so um, in the old city of Jerusalem, there are four quarters, the Christian quarter, the Jewish quarter, the Muslim quarter, and uh, the Armenian quarter. And so each quarter is segregated, separated. We have different cultures, different languages, and different faith communities. And uh, we were not supposed to play with each other as kids. Mm -hmm. But your parents named you Johanna, which is uh, a Hebrew word, isn't it? Which means the Lord is gracious. Do you think that had anything to do with the fact that you escaped a bomb and that virtually in the day you were born? Yeah, uh, my name comes from uh, one of the uh, uncles of my father who did not have children. And so my parents wanted to uh, honor uh, his memory. So they basically called me after his, uh, his name. But indeed, there were uh, many Christians uh, in, uh, in Israel-Palestine use uh, uh, basically the names that come from Hebrew origin. And uh, because we have no problem with the language, the language is basically the language of the holy text in the Old Testament. It's a blessing. It's a lovely name. I mean, it's the same as the, uh, in English, it's the name John, isn't it? Johanna, it's the, the Lord is gracious. It's a beautiful name. So how, you obviously had a, a Christian family, but how did you come to personal faith and how did God begin to prepare you for the kind of ministry that you now have? Well, it's a, um... When I uh, was uh, a teenager, uh, basically, I had a lot of anger, hatred in my heart. And uh, I used to come out of my home and see so many Christians from all over the world coming on Via della Rosa, carrying crosses, as well as the Star of David and praying to the God of Israel. At that time, I did not differentiate between uh, the expression, the God of Israel, for me, sounded very tribal and uh, very political. And with the Star of David next to the cross, I had a lot of negative feelings because of my context. And so I had the impression that God is not the God that I really love to be to like or to love or to be part of, of following him. And as a result, uh, I started to develop negative feelings against Christianity. Little by little, this led me to adopt atheism as uh, the way of life. And, uh, and my life uh, was, was so far from God. The, the context of uh, Jerusalem, it's a city, the old city of Jerusalem is a place full of drugs, of gambling. Um, a lot of people don't see this side of the city, but that is what is going on in the city today and even many years ago. So... And uh, 
So I developed uh, this attitude of becoming an atheist. Then I went to uh, Bethlehem University where I uh, was enrolled in the program BA in chemistry, BS in chemistry. And, uh, and then uh, I, little by little, I became one of the leaders uh, at the university advocating atheism. I became active in advocating atheism and uh, arguing intellectually and philosophically as well as scientifically that religion is a myth. It's the opium of the nations. That's what has been um, at least famous expression. And uh, in the midst of my studies, um, I was sleeping at my home in Jerusalem and about 3 a.m. in the morning, I woke up from my sleep hearing the bells of churches ringing. And the moment I opened my eyes, I literally felt some kind of air going through my body. I was not able to move my hands, not able to move my legs. I was terrified. My whole worldview is collapsing. And so I started thinking in every possible idea in my mind, what is happening to me? What is going on? Uh, this is not a nightmare. I'm awake. Uh, I was looking at the clock on the mm. wall. I struggled with my mind for two hours. I tried to free myself, but it didn't work out. I was very stubborn. And two hours later, I said, God, if this is from you, free me and I promise you to look for you. The moment I said that, I was able to move again. I got up, I drank some water, and I was terrified. My whole worldview collapsed in one night. I didn't know what to do now with the university. And because I was leading certain student groups. And uh, so I decided to be silent, not to uh, tell anyone about uh, what is happening and what happened to me. And because of this experience, I developed at that time fear from dark places. And Jerusalem was uh, well, it was, was full of dark places. And so I, I would walk in the streets at night and be continually reminded that something is missing in my life. I started looking and searching. And then I heard about a small church and I went to that church and inside this church, they had a special meeting and they call it revival meetings. So I, I attended these meetings and they had a special speaker. And the speaker was uh, talking about that we are sinners and we need to see Jesus as our savior. Now I come from a, a nominal Christian family. And at that time, uh, you know, it's, uh, we don't go to church. We go to church once a year during maybe Christmas or Easter. And uh, it's more like a social activity rather than a living faith. But in this small church, I was truly challenged. My heart was pounding. I felt the presence of God. And uh, the speaker was saying, you are a sinner. You need to give Jesus your heart. I remember I closed my eyes and I said, Lord, I know I am a sinner. I know that you are real and you are the savior. But I, can't, I, I will give you my heart, but I can't give you my mind. Because I am not fully convinced that you are a just God. 
how can someone live on earth for 60 or 70 years and you put them in hell forever? How come that you abandon the Palestinian people and you are the God of Israel? And so I didn't have a full understanding. I prayed this prayer and left home and didn't tell anyone. During that week, I had three dreams that were a turning point in my life. Now, this is, in, in, in for, for me, as I reflect on this, it's very ironic because I'm a very intellectual in, in my orientation, and yet I believe God is speaking to me in ways that are not, doesn't sound intellectual, but, but God has his own ways and he knows the entry to our hearts. And so um, I had three dreams and the first dream, there was a person walking and very ugly faces to the right and to the left. And this time I was behind holding the garment of that person. And I was very afraid in the dream as I was trying to follow him. The second dream, there was a transparent box like glass and all these ugly faces were trying to attack me, but the box prevented them from reaching to me. The third and last dream, the same person was walking, the same ugly faces to the right and to the left, but this time I was not behind holding the cloak or the garment, I was in his arms. And whenever I opened my eyes in the dream, I saw a face that brought peace and tranquility to my heart. When I woke up, as if someone was whispering in my ears, Johanna, this is the difference between grace and deeds. If you want to follow me with your effort, you can't. But if you are in Christ, then I will carry you. And this is my grace to you. For some reason, the barriers in my mind started collapsing and my spiritual journey was launched in a new way. And God started calling me to serve him and to know more about him. And uh, in fact, I started a Bible study at the same university I was advocating atheism. And then that later spread to many other Palestinian universities in the country. Praise be to God. Mm, wonderful. Thank you so much for that amazing story, Johanna. I haven't even heard that before myself. Uh, that's wonderful. Now, at a later stage, you went on to do your doctoral study, a PhD study, and two thoughts occurred to me about that. The first is that you, you went to the United States to do that because you studied in uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Deerfield, Illinois, um, and I'd love to know how that was and what it was like for you being uh, a Palestinian, an Arab, studying and working there in the States. But also, you did your PhD in the Old Testament, uh, and again, I just wonder what led you as as a as an Arab believer with your earlier feelings about the God of Israel, the Jewish scriptures and so on, to choose to study the, the Hebrew scriptures? Yes. Um, well, to continue at least my story, uh, because I think what, what happened, this was the first stage to really accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. The second stage in, in my spiritual journey uh, that can explain this, uh, at least where I ended up, was that I started reading the Gospel of Matthew, just opening up the Bible, and then I came to the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, the Bible says, love your enemies. 
And I was in shock that God is asking me to love my enemies. I didn't need to go to a dictionary to define who my enemies are. I mean, the minute I read that, I closed my Bible and I said, I can't be a traitor, Lord. Forget it. I left my room. I was very upset with God. And I went outside to one of the gates of Jerusalem called Jaffa Gate. And there is a small coffee shop there. And inside that coffee shop, within God's sovereignty, I decided to go inside there. And then at the counter, there was a flyer with the title, Real Love. And, uh, and uh, the, the, the flyer that caught my attention, I took it. It was written uh, in Hebrew and in English on two sides. And, uh, and it was a quotation from Isaiah 53, like a lamb being led to the slaughter. I took these flyers with me uh, and I went back to my room. I knelt down and I started praying. And I said, God, I can't love my enemies. You are asking me too much, but let, let us have a deal. I will put these flyers inside my ID card. And every time an Israeli soldier will stop me, I will give them my ID card. And when they ask me, what is this? I will not lie. I will tell them, this is how my God wants me to relate to you because I didn't want to lie. And so I went out and many Israeli soldiers did stop me because that was the political situation at that time. As a young, younger man, I was stopped sometimes two, three times every day, sometimes for one hour, sometimes for more, sometimes for less. And uh, and uh, my university was closed for three years. It was illegal to study. I was once arrested just for going to a chemistry class. And now I am trying to live out the gospel in this context. And so an Israeli soldier will stop me. I will give them the, my ID card. They will open it. They will see the flyer inside. And they will ask me, what is this? I will tell them, this is how my God wants me to relate to you. Day after day after day my feelings started to change. So I will walk in the same streets, seeing the same sometimes soldiers, but this time I will be praying, Lord, let them stop me so that I can share Jesus with them. I was one night doing photocopying for the church and we worship the Lord in Arabic, a beautiful language, an old language. If you open a concordance of the Old Testament, you will find the word Arab, occurs 16 times in the Old Testament. There were Arabs who gave gifts to King Solomon. Job, according to the Greek translation of the Old Testament, is an Arab. Uh, the authors of Proverbs 30 and 31 might be Arabs. Queen Sheba might be an Arab. And so, anyway, we worship God in, in Arabic. And uh, many Israeli soldiers don't read Arabic, don't know Arabic. And so, I was photocopying uh, the church bulletin and the photocopier did not cooperate in the right way that night. And so it was midnight when I finished. I took all these church bulletins, put them inside my leather jacket, put the zipper up and went back towards home of the old city of Jerusalem through one of the gates of Jerusalem called Damascus Gate. As I was going down the stairs, I saw three soldiers sitting at the gate. The streets were empty. I was the only young man. And at that time, the political situation was very tense. There was an Israeli law that if you find a Palestinian 
writing graffitis on walls, you call them and they don't respond, you can shoot them at the feet. And if you find someone distributing political flyers, of course, you can do the same thing or arrest them. And so as I saw the soldiers, I lifted up a quick prayer and I said, God, I was doing your work and now this is my reward. I am tired. I want to go home. I went down the stairs hoping that they will not call me. But then one of the soldiers crooked his finger at me, asking me to approach. I approached the three soldiers and I wasn't thinking clearly. I unzipped the zipper of my jacket very quickly. They thought I'm going to attack them. They put their hands on their machine guns and pointed their machine guns towards my head. Without thinking, I said, I love you. They were in shock and I was in shock. For a few moments, we didn't know what to do. Then they lowered their guns and I started telling them about Jesus Christ. They thought, you know, that they said to me, we wish that all Palestinians are like you. I said, no, I wish that you are like me. God taught me that love is not only a feeling. Love is a decision that we make in order to honor Jesus Christ. And our love muscles grow stronger in the context of hatred as we exercise loving the other, loving everyone around us. And God challenged me that love is not an excuse to abandon justice. Love is an opportunity to pursue justice with the right heart. This started in me the desire to study, to read, to understand more. And through a long process, many, many things happened in my spiritual journey that convinced me that I really need to study God's word. And, uh, and the more I studied God's word, the more God will give me further hunger. I mean, sometimes I would sit down and read the Bible for 10 to 15 hours every day without, without having enough. And just I want to eat the word of God. And, and, and God's spirit was being poured on me. This convinced me that I need to study God's word. And God opened the doors through Langham Scholarship for me to, to go to the U.S. and, uh, and pursue my Ph.D. Uh, and it is strange because I had all, I remember my wife and I, we put all the plan for the year. And, and that was not part of our plan to go and pursue our Ph.D. study because we applied. We didn't know what would be the answer. And, and we, we planned our year, we were praying, but God really opened the door. And I'm thankful for Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. They are a great school. They have wonderful people there, godly men and women, and uh, wonderful international community as well. Uh, I felt welcomed uh, and I've learned a lot there. There were obviously cultural challenges, theological challenges at certain times, but these challenges, helped me to grow, to understand how people think differently sometimes, and at the same time, to study the Word of God more closely and to study it prayerfully. And I'm thankful for that because I've learned right from the beginning that to do my theology on my knees 
And so it's, uh, I used to study Greek on my knees. I used to study Hebrew on my knees. And, and I would sit down on my knees and pray the Hebrew paradigm and pray the Greek paradigm and, and put it before God because I knew that this is God's will for my life. And I, I am thankful for all the teachers and all the students and all the whole experience. It shaped who I am. Thank you so much. So was there a particular reason why you chose to do a PhD in Old Testament studies rather than the new? I mean, you're, you're a biblical scholar and we will come to that later. You've written a book on John's Gospel, for example, that we'll talk about later. But the Old Testament is, in many people's minds, associated so strongly uh, with, obviously, with the Jewish people, quite rightly, uh, and indeed with the Israeli state. So was that was that a, a struggle or a problem to you, or were you able to work this through theologically in, in, in your doctoral studies? Yes. Um, many, many people here in the uh, land uh, of Christ, that I call it Israel-Palestine, um, Many, many people here, uh, especially among Arab Christians, they don't want to uh, relate to the Old Testament. They don't want to read even the Old Testament. After 1948, when the state of Israel was established and many of the Palestinians became refugees, a lot of people, they are not able to read the word Israel in the Bible because it is associated with political connotations. And because of Christian Zionism, this understanding has been even confirmed by uh, many Christians around the world who come to Israel. And so seeing the state of Israel as fulfillment of prophecies from their point of view. This challenged me personally because I strongly believe that the Old Testament is the word of God and that God gave this text to us as followers of Jesus. And it is the inspired word of God. And so I wanted to read the Old Testament and understand how does the Old Testament connect me to Christ? How can the Old Testament be a, a, a common ground with my Jewish neighbor? How can it be, a, 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 how can it have its missional dimension in relating to the surrounding areas? How can the Old Testament be a bridge rather than a barrier between me and the Jewish people? Because I, that's what I saw in Jesus Christ. I saw that in Jesus Christ, the, the, the Bible, which was basically the Old Testament, the Bible is, was a bridge with the Samaritan woman, was a bridge with the nations. And I wanted to rediscover that as a Palestinian Christian. That prompted me to study the Old Testament, as well as my love for the Hebrew language. Um, I, I love the Hebrew language. And I, and I love all these uh, Old Testament heroes. You know, they are my ancestors and my heroes. And so I want to celebrate them as a Palestinian Christian. Thank you. Now, you used the word missional a moment ago, and you are now a theological educator. Uh, you've been the uh, academic dean and, and teacher of Old Testament in Bethlehem Bible College and in Nazareth, Nazareth Evangelical College. What is missional about theological education? Some people would not think that just teaching the Bible itself has anything to do with mission. So what would be your answer to that? Yes, I think that um, theology is related to God. God is a missional God. 
he sent Jesus Christ, he sent uh, his prophets, he sent, uh, he, he is the good shepherd who is looking for the one sheep that is lost. And so, uh, so for me to study theology is not just to have a cognitive understanding, but to be transformed into the image of God through the word of God, through engaging God's world, God's concepts, God's history uh, with his people. And uh, so as I understand these identities, it's an identity transformation for me to study theology. Theology is not just about information. Theology is about transformation, to be transformed by encountering God. And so, uh, so for me, you know, it's like uh, if I go to a Jewish shop in Jerusalem and I have a, a sandwich of meat and I want to uh, go inside to uh, drink a cup of coffee, they will ask me, please leave, go out, because it's not supposed to have meat and milk in the same room. So to eat a sandwich and drink coffee, this is theology for me. To cross a checkpoint, this is theology for me. Uh, to, uh, to invite a, a, an Orthodox Jewish friend to a restaurant, I have to choose if the restaurant is kosher or not, and each has implications, it's theology for me. To live in my land or not live in my land, it's theology for me. So theology is about identity, about being transform, transformed. And I want to say in, in my latest book, The Gospel of John, my understanding of mission and theology is intimately related to identity. And so in, in the book of glory, which is basically from John 13 to John 21, I basically say in order to uh, reflect on mission and theology, we have to reflect on the seven identities that John gives to us. And I will mention them very, very quickly. We have to be people of love, John 13. We have to be people of the spirit of God, John 14 and 16. We have to be people of the vine to be rooted in Christ, John 15. We have to be persecuted people for the glory of God, John also 16. We have to be people of unity, John 17, unity and prayer. We have to be people of the cross, John 18 and 19. And we have to be people of resurrection, John 20 and 21. All these identities are within our mission as we continue the mission that God started. He came from heaven to earth in order to help us to go from Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Mm. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for that. I, I, I'd love to be in your classroom when you're teaching some of these things. Let's let's talk about your classrooms because, as I said, you've taught at uh, the other BBC, Bel uh, not uh, uh, not the British Broadcasting Corporation, but Bethlehem Bible College, uh, and now also in Nazareth at Nazareth Evangelical College. What what are those colleges like? How many students do you have? What what sort of students? And perhaps you could give us an example of one. I I saw on the um, posting that we get from Nazareth Evangelical College details about a, a brother called Khalil Nasrallah, an orthopedic doctor, apparently. So what's he doing studying theology? Yes, well, it's um, we have uh, two programs, a Bachelor in Biblical Studies, and we have also a, a program in MA in Leadership and uh, Ministry. 
and the Khalil is in the program of leadership and ministry. And uh, he basically uh, wants to serve the Lord more effectively. He's from a small town called Shafa Amir. And in the, this town, he is serving the young people there. And he has his own YouTube channel that he is reaching out to many people as an apologist. He used to be an atheist. And then now he is serving the Lord by challenging young people to know Jesus Christ. Uh, he came to me uh, and he said, I want to study the word of God and I want to serve Jesus Christ. I want my knowledge, my understanding to promote the gospel. And uh, so we prayed together. Uh, we opened the program for him. And I am I'm so thankful so, uh, for this opportunity because Khalil is very gifted intellectually. He has a great mind and he loves to read the word of God. And uh, what a blessing to have students like that, you know, who challenge you sometimes and help you to reflect on your own understanding. And um, the last, the latest class that we studied, uh, Khalil and I, was on hermeneutics. We studied biblical hermeneutics. And, uh, and he wrote uh, his paper trying to uh, really develop his understanding of scripture as well as uh, ministry. And Khalil has, uh, he was, he, he had uh, Corona uh, because of his, his, he served God as a doctor. And unfortunately he caught COVID-19, he became uh, sick. And um, in his uh, uh, sickness at his home, he used that time to reach out to people through YouTube. And, and he started telling them how he can worship God, how he can honor God, even though he, had, he has Corona. And he, he trusts God. And it was amazing, his testimony. And thousands of people were listening to his testimony that God is alive, that God does not always protect us from diseases, but God is always available to be with us, even when we are sick, to carry us across so that we can extend the kingdom of God. Now he is fully healed, praise God. And he will continue serving as a doctor, as well as uh, studying at the college and uh, advocating the work of God. Praise, praise God. Praise God indeed. And just to say that uh, if people want to know more about Nazareth Evangelical College or the Bethlehem Bible College, they, they both have websites uh, and you can uh, get regular newsletters from them and uh, pictures of students and so on and what they're doing. So that's well worth doing. Um, one of the things about the Middle East, of course, uh, Johanna, that everybody knows, I've known it basically since childhood, is there has been a peace process, so-called, going on for decade after decade. And yet peace and reconciliation are one of the things that just seems so hard, so difficult, so almost impossible to dream of. And yet they're at the very heart of the gospel, uh, as your own experience shows. So in what ways are you personally or your two colleges and any of your students involved in ministries of reconciliation and bridge building and peace building between your own community, the Arab-Palestinian community, both in Israel and in Palestine, and with uh, Jewish people in general, or perhaps uh, Jewish sisters and brothers who have come to faith in Jesus as Messiah? Yes, um, I mean... This is really a big topic. I'm uh, excited about it, and uh, I wish we, we can talk for hours about it to uh, un unpack it. But I want to say that uh, peace is, is, uh, is a, a very precious word 
yet it is loaded at the same time in my context. Some Palestinians, they want to talk about peace and justice. Uh, some want to talk about justice without peace. Uh, some want to talk about peace without justice. Uh, and, and so I want to say that we have to root our relationship with God, with the love of God and the love of neighbor. And we have to understand, in my opinion, that this peace, justice, come as a package and they are interrelated together and we cannot separate them. And so I want to say, uh, uh, I've learned uh, recently to put sometimes adjectives with certain words. So for example, a lot of people talk about justice. I want to say about missional justice rather than justice. Why? Because there is political justice that talk about how you can have a political answer to the problems. And that's fine, but that's not my main heart. My main heart is missional justice, not political justice. Now, political justice is included in, miss in missional justice, but missional justice is much bigger than political justice. Missional justice includes righteousness, includes a right relationship with God. Peace, I want to say missional peace. Missional peace has to do with the gospel, has to do with the heart of God that spread the peace of God. And so this kind of peace is transformative, not only at the social level, not only at the political level, but also even at the environmental level and at the personal level. And so this kind of peace cannot come, cannot be uh, fulfilled without Jesus Christ, without the coming of the kingdom of God. And so for me, I take this relationship with Jesus Christ so central, so important as I say, God is the best politician ever. God is the best peacemaker ever. And the way God makes peace is through the cross. This is why I, I, I uh, came across, at least maybe this is a theological label, I will mention it, but you can unpack it. There is a, a whole lecture on it that I've given at one time. It's called orthopathos, which basically means suffering for the sake of bringing about the kingdom, the right heart, the right passion. And I, it's, many people talk about orthodoxy and orthopraxis, but I want to say about orthopathos. The cross is the way we move forward to bring peace to the world. There is the peace of Rome. It's by military power. But there is the peace of the cross. It's by the love of God, by forgiveness, and by love that pursues justice. And so, yes, we do this kind of peace by dialogue, by teaching, by engaging people. And in fact, this year, I have been uh, so blessed, really, without expectations. I had uh, four books that came out for me this year. And, uh, and uh, the latest book that's not out yet, it's this book. It's called The King of Peace and His Young Followers. And it is stories for children. And it's, it's not out yet. It will be out soon. It's stories for children who are between six to 12 years old to teach them how to become peacemakers. And, and basically we want to bring peacemaking into 
uh, uh, schools into children, into transforming a new reality. And our students are being transformed into their thinking, into their practice, and into their willingness to suffer. Because unless we have this willingness, I know in many uh, uh, seminaries, they don't give suffering enough space for the sake of the kingdom. But I love in the Sermon on the Mount, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, give them the other cheek. And I say to my students, between the first slap and the possibility of the second slap, something happens in the heart of the person who is attacked. They are willing to suffer for the sake of the kingdom. This is why they give the other cheek, because they want to bring forth the kingdom of God through their suffering. I want to say for my Jewish friends and people and nation and people, Jewish people around the world, we love you as Palestinians. As a Palestinian Christian, I love you. And I am willing to stand with you so that we can work together to bring a new world. And for the Palestinian people, for Muslims, for Christians from all backgrounds, we love you. We as followers of Jesus, we stand, we are committed to loving God and loving our neighbor and bringing a new world by this civilization of love. Without it, I don't believe we can move forward and bring peace. Is that a message that you feel is needed, that it could be heard from your context and the students that you are teaching in your seminaries to seminaries and churches in the West? Yes, indeed. And, uh, and when I say love, I want to clarify for especially uh, uh, for people who think so much in individualistic sense. Uh, I'm not talking about love only as a personal decision. I'm talking about the politics of love. I'm talking about the society of love. I'm talking about community of love. I'm talking about community of forgivers as one of my colleagues, Rula Mansour, who is who's, uh, specializing in peacemaking, talking about community of forgivers. I'm talking about this kind of perception that Jesus Christ is advocating a new civilization, which I will call kingdom of God. And so, so, so this, is, this is what I'm talking about when it comes to love. I love what Johanna has to teach us about being people of love, John 13, and people of unity and prayer, John 17. That's relevant for all of us, no matter where we live. A big thank you to Chris and Johanna for the blessing of that conversation. You can learn more about Johanna and his books by visiting the resource section of Langham.org. And it's not over. Join us next week for the conclusion of their talk. Again, I'm Angel Torero, and thank you for joining me for On Mission with Chris Wright, a podcast produced by Langham Partnership. Visit Langham.org to discover how they multiply and equip leaders around the world. If you enjoyed today's conversation, will you let us know by giving us a review and sharing this with a friend? And then join me for future episodes where we'll be talking to leaders in Zambia, Palestine, Kenya, Brazil, and beyond. We look forward to having you join for our next episode of On Mission with Chris Wright. In the meantime, God bless. God bless.